ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Bright Brains Podcast. Today, my guest is tech founder Bilal Kamara, and we're going to talk about his new company, Let's Gem, and what's it like working in the tech industry. Welcome to the show, Bilal. Hey, thanks, Isaac. Glad to be here. Hey, no problem, man. Thank you for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Yeah, so, um, yeah, as you said, my name is Bilal Kamara, so... Um, and you already alluded to it. So I've recently launched a startup out here in, um, you know, Denver, Colorado. And, um, it's essentially just a startup that helps people find a gym partner, you know, like, you know, um, growing up in Memphis and, you know, always having friends out there, you know, working out and everything of that nature, it was, you know, very easy for me to work out. But as soon as I moved out West, uh, Working out without a gym partner is vastly different than working out alone, you know. So it's uh, uh, so I figured out that gap in the market, and I just decided to just try to build an app and figure out if people are interested in it. How long ago did you found this? Was it this year that you started it up, or so it was middle of last year is when I had the idea. I'll say like middle of twenty twenty two is when I went back to Memphis for like a month and I saw my friends and we were just working out, hanging out and, and all that stuff. And moving back, they coming back here after uh, after a month. And I was like, man, it's kind of sucks to work, just work out by yourself. So I was like, let me just put out a little fillers out in the market to see if um, people are interested. So I put like, I ran like a few Facebook and a few Instagram ads and like, hey, Denver, if you're looking for a workout partner, sign up here. And I'll say like after about a month that we had like, 200 people signed up. So I was like, okay, people are interested. So then let me start building the app. So I would say I got the idea last year, maybe around July. Then I had an app built, like a very, very, very like basic prototype by like October. So how does it work? Is it like a social network? So it's essentially like, let's say for me, for instance, I'm, I work out early in the morning. So like between like 4 to 7 a.m. is when you'll find me. So I can put my filters in like, Workout time, you know, like what time I would want a partner. So like super early in the morning, like what what I'm trying, like my fitness goal is. So like right now I'm just trying to build strength. So like I can filter for strength. But let's say you, you know you're you're into yoga, you can put yoga. If you're big into cardio, cardio or athletic training, you know, um, we have different options just from the feedback we got. And then let's say I want someone that's like an intermediate gym goer or casual or you know a beginner you're able to filter off that as well so once you you know you put your filters in on what you're looking for for a partner you could um it'll show you you know who matches your filter who and who goes to the, the same gym as you and and also people outside of your filter if you you know just want to try something new so let's say you know i see you on that you match my filter i can click on your profile and then just straight up message you and be like hey isaac you gotta catch a lift or you know, anything of that nature. Just because in the beginning, like the first prototype, it was like swipe left, swipe right, you know, to match with someone. Uh, but um, it just gave like a dating dating app feel and I'm trying to stay very far away from that. So it just had to, um, just had to update the, the experience. So do you build this whole app by yourself or did you have any help? Yeah. Or it's just... Yeah, uh, I built it all by myself. Like I am, I wouldn't say I'm an iOS developer or anything of that nature, but uh, 
I was able to figure it out, surprisingly enough. So it only took me, I would say, to build like an actual iPhone app. I started it this year back in um, back in June. I would say I was just learning how to do it. And then by September, we were able to launch out here in Denver. So you, I think you said in our email exchanges that you taught yourself how to code. Yeah. So, and the whole reason how that happened was um, like back in 2016, 2017, like I just got out of college and uh, I was just trying to figure out um, like, you know, what's out there. So I had a few friends out in like the San Francisco, Oakland, like Bay Area. So I uh, went out there for like a few weeks at a time and uh, they were just like, hey, let's go to these like meetup events. It was like tech founder meetup events or just like um, founder meetup events um, just around the city of, you know, different founders and CEOs of like startups going in there and just like networking. And um, so I'm just going to these events and just like asking people, you know, oh, how do you get started? You know, just, just straight up asking. And a lot of people were telling me, well, they... Uh, went to like a coding boot camp, learned how to code, and then always had that skill in their back pocket just in case they needed to build something. So I spoke to one individual and he gave me this online coding uh, class to take, like coding academy thing to take. And it was cool. It was like a whole six month process. And in the beginning, I, I never thought I was going to do it. Like it took me like four months to be able to believe in myself that I could actually build an app just because looking at how the online professor was doing it because it was just uh, pre-recorded videos. It made me uh, doubt myself that I was ever going to do it. But, uh, you know, being consistent with it, like I set a goal of, you know, just spend at least 30 minutes a day and I'll be able to, you know, compound that to figure it out at the end of the day. And, um, you know, just stuck to it. And, and now I'm here. That's dope. So you taught yourself how to code in six months and then you made an app? Uh, I would say I taught myself how to code like confidently. It took me like, I would say two years. Two years. To like be like, okay, I don't even have to look at like Google or anything to like code. I can just like think of something and go on to my, um, on my laptop and just code it out. But like the first six months of that, that, of that process, I was able to build like a web app. So I was able to build something, but I, I wouldn't call myself a developer then. Gotcha. So what programming language did you learn how to code in? So I took like a full stack development um, path. So I, I learned like Ruby, uh, Ruby on Rails, um, React, type, TypeScript, and like the basic CSS, you know, HTML, um, and just stuff like that. So it, it was majority like web-based, uh, web-based uh, coding languages. But um, so like with this iOS coding language, it was totally new to me, but deciphering code is, I feel like the foundation is all the same. Like you can figure out if there's an error, you can see, figure out where it's pointing to. If you're trying to build something new, you know, you could um, see how A points to B, or if you click this button, how it points to this and or, or that. So I would say me learning how to code a few years ago, set the foundation for me to figure out how to code in like on a on an ios level you said you've started other tech companies before and sold them mm -hmm. what other tech companies like have you started and how much did you sell them for if you don't mind me asking yeah so i started this um startup called 
quick sesh back in, I think like 2018, about 2019, 2018 area. Um, and pretty much what it was, it was an on-demand tech service. So let's say you have an issue with your laptop or your computer, you can go onto our website and, um, you know, explain your issue and someone will contact you at least within 30 minutes to fix your issue, like over the phone, uh, through text, through email, whatever your preference was, and pretty much solve the issue right there on the spot. So it was essentially like an Uber or like a Lyft model, but for like computer issues. How, how much did you sell that for? I know, like, I don't know if that's like a personal question, but I'm just curious. Yeah. Uh, no, it's it's cool. I, I don't I don't mind. I mean, or to pay the taxes for it, so it's it's public. Uh, a, a little bit north of seven figures. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's dope, man. That, that's really cool. So you know, I remember for the last ten years or so, there's been this big push on getting people to learn how to code and, you know, go into tech, especially like pushing black people, young black people to learn how to code. But now we have this AI, which is, you know, chat GPT and things like that. So my question is, is there still a value in learning how to code when we have the AI that could, could just do it lickety split? Like I saw something on Instagram, this guy just went on chat GPT and said, hey, give me an idea for uh, a game that I could uh, make an app for. And then the, the chat GPT gave him the ideas. And then he said, write the code for me and tell me how to submit it to Apple. And then it did it. And I'm like, whoa, that's wild. So <laughs> is this still, is this still value in learning how to code? Yeah. I, I would say there's a lot. Like um, I, I saw the video you, you were referring to as well. And like I'll say AI and ChatGPT does assist in the sense that let's say there's a bug in my code and I cannot figure it out. Let's say I will spend 30 minutes. I'll just go to ChatGPT and say, what is wrong with this code or, or uh, find the bug in this code and just paste my code on there and it will point it out for me. So I would say that is the biggest utilization of like AI for me. Um, I've tried to like let it generate code for, my, for me, like in the sense that like, Right now, I'm working on code for Let's Gym in this, and in the sense that it lets people um, create like workout groups. So if you want to create a group and invite some of your friends on there, it will it will um, you're able to do that. But um, I kept hitting this roadblock and I couldn't figure out how to create like a, a QR generator. So like let's say you're out and about and and you want to have someone join your group, you can just show them your QR code and have it uh, have them scan it and automatically you know have them join your group. So I try to go through the chat GPT route, but uh, the code was unfinished. Like it gave me like the beginning of it or like the, let's say the structure, but the meat of the code of like, okay, once they click this, it will generate this, that was missing. So I had to like go in there and, and code that. Like it helps a lot in, in me coding, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't do it all for me. There's still, chat GPT can't do everything basically yet when I, I say yet do you think that like eventually like ai is just gonna take over and there won't be any need for human programmers or do you think there will still be um honestly that's a good question i would say like what this is this like first year of it being out to the public chat jbt and it's already grown ex exponentially i'd say over time it could get that way just because 
the things that it's been doing recently, like ChatGPT4, is it's pretty insane. Like, uh, um, so like I would say it's only a matter of time if someone like lets the genie out out of the bottle, but in the sense that it's already out of the bottle, like it's already like public domain. So I'll say eventually it would get like that. Yeah. Are you fearful of like AI at all? Uh, not necessarily. I, I would say that that I don't feel like a, I feel like the the end goal. I don't think that they like AI would be able to accomplish everything that we can. Like as as people, I would say I I would think that it would accomplish tasks, but it won't necessarily do the like completely do the job so, like if i have like a, a mundane task of like hey um find me this entire workout like find me a full-on chest workout i can like go to, go to chat gpt and it gives me full-on chest workouts but you know it won't help me structure it of like okay i need to do this on monday do this on wednesday do this on friday or it won't like make me go to the gym essentially so like i feel like it will still be human need but i feel like the mundane tasks of like going online looking stuff up and researching it would definitely be taken over by that if there was like a person who wanted to learn how to code what advice would you give them would you tell them to go the route you did or like go to school um uh, see so like i went to the university of memphis and uh went to college for like uh management information systems and it was it was great experience, but it didn't teach me uh, what I needed to learn to like launch a company. Like it didn't it, it didn't necessarily teach me that. Like I took some coding classes there, but all the coding classes I took there, I haven't used any. So I would say like if someone wants to get into like the coding world and the tech world, um, there is a website called Code Academy. And it has like all different types of code. It has like Python, Java, CSS, like literally any code you, you want to dive into, you, you're able to dive in there. And it's they have a free model and they also have a paid model. So even if you don't have money to spend on it, you're able to easily do it for free and and um, build up your knowledge base. That's dope, man. So Code Academy, that's definitely something I'll check out. So I want to talk more about like uh, your cultural background. So you're actually an immigrant and you're from Kuwait. Yep. Yep. Yeah. My mom is. I'll be honest with you. I may cut you off, but I'll be honest with you, man. I didn't know there were black people in Kuwait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. My family tree out there is uh, pretty, pretty dark. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. Tell me about that. You, you were saying about your mother. Yeah. So my mother is, is the one who's from Kuwait and my dad is American. So uh, they met, like, uh, my dad was in the military. So like, during um, the Gulf War in the early 90s, he met my mom. So so that's how they met. And, but like my cousin overseas, like majority, well, like majority of my cousins are, are, are dark skinned and black. But I also have like cousins on the other spectrum that are like super light skinned or like damn near white. So um, it, our family is all over the place overseas, but yeah, there's there's plenty of black people, and, and Kuwait is, is uh, like I love it. I love going back there. It's uh, I love it just because like all my family is there. My mom is the youngest of eleven, 
and I would say she probably has the least amount of kids with three. And so I have like cousins for days. I never get bored of going overseas. Oh, wow. So what's life like in Kuwait, man? You said you lived there until you were seven? Yeah, yeah. We moved to the States when I was seven. So we moved to Memphis. And I stayed in Memphis until when, until 2019 when I moved out to Denver. But uh, life over there is, is, is simple. You know, like I'm Muslim. So being Muslim in Kuwait is, is a lot easier than being Muslim in the States. Like there's like a mosque or a masjid in pretty much every corner in Kuwait. So like it's it's a lot easier to be it, it just feels like home every time I'm back overseas. And um but it's not it's not much to do. So it's just like there's no like clubs or anything like that. It's it's a dry country, so people aren't outside getting lit. But like pretty much what I usually do is it's really good food out there, like food scene out there is crazy and shopping pretty much. So like eating and shopping is pretty much what people do out there. Yeah, that's dope, man. So what was it like when you moved to America for the first time? Uh, it was tough. I'm not going to lie. Just because, you know, growing up in Kuwait, I had all my cousins, so I was never really alone. Like any time I wanted to do anything, I would just, one of my cousins would pick me up or the older cousins would come drive me somewhere. So I remember coming to the States and just crying for like the first month or two. I'd be in like on the kindergarten playground, just like tearing up. But um, I would say, like my entire life, I always wanted to move back. Like uh, my plan was to graduate college with a tech degree and then move back overseas just to be, you know, with my family and be like this culturally grounded. But um, you know, as I grew up, I felt like that changed. Like I love going back overseas, but I don't foresee myself uh, permanently living there. I'm just because you know, growing up in America, like I'm used to. I'm just used to life here. And I remember right after college, I went back overseas just because I was like, okay, let's see if, if I could, uh, if I still feel the same way. I went back over there for a while and um, I realized that I don't think it was for me. Like I would, like I, I have like good friends out here. I have like my mom is still out here. So I'm not going to move across the country or move across the world and, you know, leave my mom out here. So, um, but yeah, I, I'd say, it it, it it was it was a while for me to get used to living out here, like in, in the U.S. But uh, um, I call it home now, so it's uh, it, it, you know it grew on me. Yeah, does Kuwait have like a booming tech scene? Uh, I wouldn't say so. Like I would say, like the oil sector out there is the biggest because it's uh, you know a lot of oil money. I would say, so I would say the biggest. Like the, the the most common sought out sought after jobs are, are are in that market. Life in the tech industry, what what has that been like? You know, have you run into any kind of obstacles, like being a man of color in the tech industry or anything like that? And how did you get around those obstacles? Yeah, like, um, like with my first startup, that is the reason why, like, I left Memphis because I couldn't. Uh, get to where I needed to be out there. Um, like I Memphis had like a, a few meetup groups that that meet and you could, you know, just talk about like your startup. Um, and one time they had a marketing agency there and they were giving like free advice of like, oh, you can market it your startup this way, or you're doing this wrong or X, Y, and Z. So I went to it, sh showed them my the website I built, 
And they thought, oh, everything is good, but, you know, your photo here, you know, what if someone doesn't want to work with someone who's black? And I was like, they won't work with me. What do you mean? Like, I'm not going to remove my photo from my website. Like, it's, you know, it's about me. So, like, after that, I was like, yeah, that's the last straw. I got to leave Memphis to, like, to get to where I want to be in life, essentially. So, moving out to Denver did help in the sense that uh, there are a lot more opportunities here than there, you know, are for us in the South. Um, but there's still obstacles, I would say, just because, like, funding, in my last startup, I didn't get any funding. Like, I was very um, against it in the sense that a lot of investors try to try to underball me. Like, I guess they think that I'm young and black. They think I'll take any money that jumps out. Like, uh, I remember I got offered like 100K for 50% of my company. And I was like, dude, the app is built. Like, I got customers. What, what, what is this? Like, this is, this is disrespectful that you even put this, like, offer across my face. So, like, th there's a lot of that in the industry. But I would say, um, I would say it's getting better in the sense that, like, there is an issue with investors and people of color in the sense that, like, not a lot of money comes to us. And, and I think, you know, not majority out West, there is a lot of people of color that is addressing it in the sense that last year it was $330 billion of investment money um, just investing into startups and CEOs. And only 1% of that went to black people. So out of $330 billion, there's no way that only 1% of black people, you know, with ideas and startups, you know, there's like, there's no way that that equates, you know what I mean? Like there's something, there's something fishy. So it is difficult in the sense that people will, um, will test you, you know, think that, you know, we, we don't know any better, but, uh, um, there are a lot more resources nowadays to help us. So uh, let's see here. What advice would you give for aspiring entrepreneurs who want to go into the tech industry? Yeah, um, not to be afraid to like just put yourself out there in the sense that like before I even knew how to code, I was at events just talking and asking people. Like I feel like people are a lot nicer than people uh, would imagine in the sense that you know if you you just talk to them and ask them a question and just you know just generally interested usually people will, you know, will talk to you and, and, and tell you, like, that's how I got into coding, just, you know, going in there and talking to people. That's how I got into figuring out how I want to do and how I want to build a startup. It was going to, like, startup events and just hearing even. Like, I, 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 I'm not going to say, like, every startup event I went to, you know, I made it a priority to talk to people. You know, sometimes I just want to sit back and see what's... Uh, see what like the panel discussion is or something of that nature. And all of these resources are free. So I just, just go to events and get an idea, figure out how other people make mistakes and how I could, you know, not go into the same pitfall and just start building. Like I have a friend who um, who's trying to get into tech and he is learning this code, learning that code, learning this skill, learning that skill, but he isn't putting what he learned into practice yet. And that's what I'm just keep pushing them. I'm just like, dude, you have a lot of skills now. Like, go ahead and, and try to do something. Because, like, once you hit a roadblock, you will figure, you will, like, go back and try to learn how to overcome this roadblock. 
because like what you're learning isn't going to teach you how to overcome everything. It's just going to teach you the basics, but like you'll learn more skills out there doing it because you, you, you will hit something where you can figure it out. How do you go about getting investors? Is it just networking or? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say networking is the biggest thing like for that, essentially, like how the first investors came around was I posted it's like a startup form on um, on Reddit. Is like yeah, our startup, and I just posted my um, my startup on there. Just like hey, this is my startup. You know, feel free to give me you know any feedback that you see from the website. Any, and you know, from the first time, like the first startup I started, uh, that's how I got the investor uh, who eventually just bought me out. Uh, was from there. And also, um, there is always pitch competitions or like pitch events. So you can just always pitch, like even for me, like I need to start doing that more in the sense that, you know, practice makes perfect. Um, yeah, I can talk, but to talk about my company in a very precise way is something, it's a skill that I need to uh, refine. So just going to pitch competitions, there's always investors there. So if, you know, if you go to, you know, competitions like that or just events. I didn't really have to be a competition and just pitch your company. Uh, eventually someone be like, oh, okay, this is actually, you know, a good idea. Let me reach out to Bilal or, or whoever. So one thing, you know, we often hear in the media right now is this DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. How do you see that functioning in the tech industry? Do you think that the tech industry is doing enough to you know, foster diversity, equity, and inclusion? And if not, like, what are some steps that could be done to get more diversity, especially with Black people? So I would say, see, I would say, like, out in Denver, there's definitely, like, a big gap into that. But, like, um, out in Memphis, I never saw a gap in that, in the sense that when I first got into tech in Memphis, I worked for this uh, hospital called uh, Regional One Health. And it was majority women who were in the IT department and, you know, majority women of color that were like in positions of power. So I was like, okay, this is cool. Like, like it's, uh, it's, very, it's a very diverse uh, department and it's a lot of women here. It was, I feel like it was more women than actual men. I'll say like 60, 40. Uh, but out in Denver, I would say it's... Um, it's just, it's completely different. Like my, the software company that I used to work for, I was one of two black people in the whole company. And, and it was, it was like, it was cool. Like everyone was cool. Like it, it was uh, no issues um, on that department, but it was, uh, you could tell the gap, uh, like there's the, the, the diversity gap. But I, I would say to overcome this uh, diversity and inclusion, it has to start from the top to the bottom. Like for me, for instance, like I haven't hired anyone for Let's Gym, but there is, you know, different, um, you know, groups that I'll go to, like just to, like it was Denver Startup Week and it was uh, um, a group called, I think Denver, no, Black Denver Tech Group or something along those lines. And that was a big, that was the biggest topic about that just because it was people, people of color trying to get into tech but just, just they just weren't getting like job acceptance. They, like they just would not get. They just were not getting hired. Um, so 
I'll say like for me, like I think it has to come from the top down just because like you, you cannot, the excuse cannot be, oh, there isn't a lot of people of color that needs this skill or this experience. They're, they're definitely out there. Like you're just not searching hard enough in, in, my, in my opinion. Um, so I would say like to overcome it, it has to be from a top down approach and has to be authentic. Like um, it can't just be for, you know, your numbers or for your um, company website or something like that. It has to be like authentic. And I, I would say like going to that summit during Denver Startup Week opened my eyes to it just because uh, I just going into the tech field in Memphis, it, it was vastly different. And seeing how it is difficult for people out here just open my eyes to uh, the struggle in, in, in that. As a founder, what have been some key lessons or moments of growth that you would like to share with our audience? Yeah, I would say the biggest lesson is being consistent. Uh, you have to be consistent. Like momentum is a real thing and um, you just have to be consistent. Like just because my first startup, I would have launched it like it took like just to just to have a comparison. This startup from idea to an app, it took me maybe two to three months to like build it. My last startup from an idea to an app, it probably took me two and a half years. Just because like I wasn't I wasn't fully consistent and I wanted to make the app like super perfect, which it didn't necessarily need to be. Just like um, you know, once you launch you go to beta testing, get feedback, and then from the feedback, you can start building how your app should be. And that was the biggest lesson learned that I have ever learned. It's like, do something fast, get feedback from your you know, small beta testers, and then incorporate the feedback and then do it again. And then just keep incorporating the feedback until you feel comfortable enough to launch the app like nationwide or statewide or you know, officially. How did you go about like getting beta testers to, you know, test that? Is there like a company that you go to to do that, or do you hire people? Um, no, I just I, like I just went on Instagram. I created like an Instagram account for Lex Gym, and it was um, I just ran an ad and be like, hey, if you're looking to, if you're looking for a gym partner in Denver, sign up here, and people are just signing up. And and that's just pretty much how I've been going down it. The entire thing to get beta testers is through um, just social media because you better testers, I feel like, will transition to actual customers whenever the app is ready just because they're using the app like it is a full-fledged app, which it is. Uh, but they're also giving me like great feedback before I open it up for the masses to download. Speaking of Lush Gym, what's the monetization strategy? Like, how do you plan to make money? Is it via advertising? Or is there like a paid membership or anything like that? Or yeah, so right now it's it's free, but like once um, I feel comfortable in in fully launching it outside of beta, we will incorporate um, like a subscription model if people are interested. But it will always be a free model, and the subscription model will be like you're able to create you know different groups for people to join. Uh, you're able to not see ads because that's another way of making revenue through ads. You won't be able to see ads and you'll be able to um, message as many people as you want. So like right now, there is a cap of starting. Um, you're only able to start five new chats a day, like talking to people. So um, that would, you know, make you um, 
just start chats with how many people you want. So uh, I would say like the subscription model, the um, uh, the advertising model is another one, and also partnerships with gyms. Like that is something that I is a goal of mine. Start of twenty twenty four is try to get partnerships with gyms in the sense that you know we will showcase your your gym um, for you know X amount of money. And so to have people around the area that doesn't have a gym yet to you know pretty much funnel funnel them to your gym for like a three percent off for the first month or however the partnership will work. You know the. Tech has changed the way our whole world operates. You know, I remember uh, recently I was having a conversation with somebody who was younger than me, and I was telling them a story about my childhood. And at one point, uh, the person younger asked me why I didn't just use a cell phone. And I remember having to explain to him, like, you know, like I'm 33 years old. For most of my childhood, we didn't have cell phones, you know, and it was kind of crazy because I have a hard time remembering what life was like before cell phones. <laughs> yeah, say before it, it was same, man, literally same. I think about that the other day, to be honest. I was like, man, if I had a phone as a kid, I, I mean, I would probably been a badass kid. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's so much, like, like just like with DoorDash, you know, it used to be you could only get like maybe pizza or Chinese food delivered. But now, I mean, everything is deliverable. So my question is, like, what are some ways like further down the road, like in the future, that you, some things that you see coming that maybe the masses don't see that tech will change our lives? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I would say... Like, this might be a hot take, but I definitely foresee, like, stuff driving cars more readily available. Like, I know with the Tesla model, like, yeah, they might, like, with the Tesla model, like, um, that's already a thing. Like, people, like, that is, you know, self-driving cars for, you know, Teslas. And I think, I think maybe on the new Ford Lightning electric uh, truck, it might have that. But, you know, uh, I believe Elon, he lets, like, those specs and, and that knowledge out on the open domain so um a lot of other companies car companies can just use that knowledge to put into you know their cars later down the road so in my opinion i feel like that is going to be the biggest uh the biggest tech uh i guess update you know for the market yeah, the thing about self-driving is that, you know, the number one job in this country, especially for men, is truck driver, you know? So if self-driving becomes a thing, you know, uh, yeah, they're going to be out of jobs, you know? How do, what do you think about that? Like the role that like a lot of this autom uh, automation is going to do to people and how do we like, you know, prevent that? Yeah, I, I would say like with the truck drivers, I would say like I don't know this for sure, but I think unit unionizing, like being in a union, would will help would help that a lot. But I would still say like I have a friend who has a Tesla, and he never turns his autopilot on. Like he's very uh, weary about it, which makes sense. But um. I generally don't know how well it does on like 
snowy days or rainy days or things of that nature. So I, I, I would say there, I would say there would still be possibly a need of someone behind the wheel just to take control when it is uncertain conditions. Because from my understanding how the self-driving works, it has cameras around the vehicle. It sees the lines and it has like sensors as well. Um, and it, obviously it has a map downloaded on the, on the car as well. But, you know, once you take out, like what, let's say it's snowy and your car's covered in snow or it's raining and it's raining everywhere so the, the, the cameras can't see the lines, um, self-driving would be pretty much pointless because uh, the car can't tell, you know, where the line stops, where the line starts. Uh, and maybe there would be some tech five, 10 years from now that would prevent that, but I don't see how that would ever happen because it's the camera. You know what I mean? Well, I won't say it ever because, I mean, you know, when I was a kid, I couldn't have ever foreseen the iPhone, you know. But my thing is with the the self-driving, like you say, for in the beginning, you know, like snowy conditions and winter conditions, you might need somebody behind the wheel. And I think, yeah, for a while, but eventually I think the, the AI would somehow adapt and that's my thing with the AI. It's like, you know, I talk to people a lot of times they'll say, oh, well, you know, humans will still be needed. And I'm like, I feel that that's kind of optimistic, but I also feel like it's kind of naive. Like you said with the cameras, it, it has to see the lines. But I think that eventually it would just be able to tell based on distance, like where the car is supposed to be you know, without having to see the lines in the road or something. I don't know. But the thing about this AI, you know, it's it's going to change our world in ways that, you know, we have no way of really telling. And that's the thing that worries me. You know, the only thing we can do is just kind of, you know, adapt because we're in for a, a massive ride, you know. But, um, yeah, it, it's going to change, you know, and that's one reason why I like to talk to a lot of people who are in the tech industry and who deal with this kind of stuff, because, you know, you guys are on the front lines seeing how this stuff is uh, changing everything. See, and, and I feel like how the internet changed the, traje the trajectory of like, you know, of uh, the world, I feel like AI would do something similar, but at a much steeper rate. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's kind of similar to how, like, the Industrial Revolution. You know, there was a time where nobody worked in factories or anything like that. Everybody was a farmer. They couldn't have even imagined the world that we live in now, you know. And uh, I think they said something like the people who are in school right now, like elementary age, they're going to be working in jobs that don't even exist right now. You know, so I'm wondering, like, what are those jobs going to be? You know, water is something, you know, it's limitless. You know, it's it's a fascinating world. It's a fascinating time to definitely be alive. Um, but what what are some positives? I know, like, we kind of talked negatively, but what are some positives that, like, maybe these changes in technology could bring to people's lives? I, I would say it's it allows you to access knowledge a lot quicker. 
like in the sense that, um, like for me, for instance, I, you know, marched in Chicago for Let's Gym about well, last month in November, November 17th, when we launched in Chicago. And, um, you know, I didn't necessarily know any media outlets or anything of that nature that is like focused for startups. So, you know, I'll search the internet, finding like dead end after dead end. So I'll just like it's put into chat GPT, like, hey, what are some influential uh, media outlets in the Chicago area? And it gave me the, the website and the email of, of someone to contact. So it took me, like, if I would have done it myself, it probably took me like an hour to actually like go in there, find the website, find the email of the person to talk to, to uh, email and um, for like 10 of the different outlets, but it took ChatGPT like maybe a minute, maybe 30 seconds. So I think it allows you to access the information a lot quicker. So in the end, it just, it just saves you a lot of time. Yeah, that is true, man. You know, ChatGPT has, you know, it's revolutionary, you know, and where it's going to be. Like, for example, you ever heard of MidJourney? It's like MidJourney, it's like AI, it's like an AI art creation tool. Like you could, let's say you want a logo for uh, your app. You could just type it in and it would create something. The thing is, though, is it can't really create words yet. But once it does create words, it's pretty much over for graphic designers. I don't know if you've, like, if you hop on Google and just type in mid-journey and see examples, it could create basically images that you would have a hard time, you know, separating. Trying to decipher. Dang, that's crazy. I'm saving that website because I'm, I'm just curious about what it does now. Yeah, yeah. So you, you can, uh, it can create something that you would have a hard time telling. In fact, there are people who have created influencers, like fake influencers. Like, you know, on Instagram, you have the Instagram models and things like that. There are people using MidJourney making fake Instagram models, but like making money. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's it's an interesting world, man. Yeah, man, I, I've been enjoying talking to you. Well, what's the final word you have to say, like, you know, about all everything that we talked about? Uh, what What's the kind of final word that you have to say, you know, um, as far as, like, the tech industry and diversity and everything that we just covered on today, man? Honestly, I'll say the final, my final word like just two masses would be uh, don't let uh, other people's opinions dictate like what you want to do in the sense that when I first was, was thinking about my first startup, I didn't have a lot of people believing in me. Like came from a single parent household, being an immigrant in the U.S., people were like, what makes you think you're going to do it? Myself, what do you mean? Like I believe in myself that I was going to do it. I wanted to do this and I, um, and I did it. So, and I had people doubting me or not thinking it would work or thinking like, Hey, you've been working on this for a long time. Why don't you think about doing something different? And, um, they're not saying it now with this startup I'm building. You know what I mean? So it's just like, um, don't let other people's opinion influence your, your decision. Like they're just like my mother, my friend, Omar, and probably my friend Angel are the only three people that I, uh, and probably my older brother Ramon, I would say are the only four people that 
if I tell them something I really do want their opinion, I value it because they're the only people that I'll take criticism from. Everyone else, uh, they just see me who I am now. Like they haven't seen me who I was before trying to figure out how to do it. And I'll say, you know, Modest Angel, th th those people have believed in me since uh, I was even trying to figure out how to code. So it's, uh, I, I would say, you know, if you have an idea, don't let your your circumstances where you're at now and the people that you're hanging around with limit you to not think you're able to achieve anything. Because I, uh, I, mean, I can guarantee you one thing, man, if the 10-year-old me saw where I'm at now, he wouldn't believe me. I wouldn't believe where I'm at. Because I don't know what I want to do in life. I want to play football, realize uh, I'm too short and too slow. <laughs> so I uh, had to figure out something else. And uh, I was able to figure it out in tech. Hey, that's awesome, man. That's beautiful. And I think that's probably the best way to end it. Let people know where they can find you online. Yeah. So um, yeah. if you want to look at our website, it is www.letsgym.io. And if you want to find us, follow us on IG. It is just at letsgym.io. Awesome. All right, then, man. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for coming on Bright Brains. Yeah, man. Thanks, Ivan. Hey, no problem, man. Take it easy. How are you too, bro? Hey, sorry to interrupt, but are you looking to reach a dynamic and engaged audience of curious minds? Well, look no further. Bright Brains Podcast is the perfect platform to showcase your business or product. You'll be able to reach a diverse and intelligent audience and engage with listeners passionate about personal development, technology, and more. Elevate your brand through thought-provoking discussions. Don't miss this opportunity to promote your business on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in the market. Contact us today to discuss advertising options and elevate your brand to the next level. Contact us at brightbrainspod at gmail.com to secure your advertising spot on Bright Brains today. Again, that's Bright Brains with a Z, pod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. Now, back to the podcast.